Well, we are uh, in the third week of walking through a series we've just called Truth Stories. And Jesus told stories to communicate truth. So we're looking at his parables. We're looking at his stories. We're looking at the, the parables that he taught that helped us wrap our minds around some things that the people that he was dealing with in his day and age, they just weren't getting it. If he said something specific and he just went there, then they would go, yeah, I know that, and kind of move on. How many of you have grown in an understanding of who Jesus is and the goodness of God? Anybody grown in that over the years? And so when early on when somebody would come to you and they would go, man, God is just good. And you go, yeah, he is. And they're going, oh, no, you're not getting it, man. You're not getting it. God is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, I thought I knew, but now I know on another level. And ah, you frustrate me. And, and move on. And so because we'll, we'll hear something that we know, but then it can actually carry on to a deeper level. And Jesus used parables to kind of cut through those things that we thought we knew and we thought we understood to bring about a fuller understanding. And see, the truth is, if you want to open up your notes, you got your paper bulletin, you're following on your phone or iPad or whatever's web-connected on you version. We've been looking at this concept over and over again, that we've been invited to be transformed by the truth of God's love. God wants to shake us and remake us in a good way. That when we say yes to the amazing goodness and the grace of God, that where we have an understanding that God met us where we are, that he wasn't saying, here it is, here's the place. If you'll finally make it to there, clean yourself up enough, do this, that, and the other, then I'll finally meet you at that moment. No, that he says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to meet you right where you are. But then he says, I love you so much, I'm not going to. To leave you there. Grace meets us there. But grace doesn't leave us there. It transforms our life. His love transforms us. And one of the ways that truth truth is revealed. That this truth is revealed. Is through the stories that Jesus used in his teaching. And we keep coming back to this. Because what we need to do is allow this to get deep down on the inside of us. John chapter 8. Verses 30 through 32, it says, Even as he spoke, many believed in him. And to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we can get real sideways on that hold to my teachings and think that, oh man, okay, we, then we have to do everything just right. No, that's not what that Greek word means. That, that root word means to embrace to let it become your own, to, to, to bring it close. If we'll hold to his teachings and not just pass by, not just give him a little sideways, yeah, I'm cool with that, but just really allow it to become a part of us, then that truth begins to set us free. And that's the whole point. The whole point of truth is to bring us into freedom. It's to bring us into that place. But one of the things we want to understand is sometimes when, when difficult truth comes to the surface, especially truth that we don't really like, we tend to want to have this 
this, this little conversation. And anybody who's been a parent for any length of time could hear a, a, a wrong noise in the next room, could hear a kid kind of scream out, could hear all sorts of things, walk in and see something unexpected and begin to have a conversation with your child. And you say, hey, what happened here? Did you do this? Oh, yes, yes, da- daddy, daddy, I did. But, 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 daddy, but, but, but. And all of a sudden, they want to have the, yes, I did it, but they want to bring in the explanation. They want to bring in that it's not as big of a deal as maybe it looks. Because if you'll understand my side of the story, you're really going to understand I'm still your angel. I'm, I'm still pretty awesome. You just don't got the whole picture here. This isn't, as, this isn't as bad as it looks. Yes, you've told me to clean my room four times, but, but, but um, I was doing my homework. I got a B. It's better than a C or an F. C? Aren't you so glad that I ignored my chores to get my B? I'm a pretty good kid, aren't I? We do this thing. We constantly want to bring in that when there's, there's something difficult, we want to bring in this thing where we begin to bring the explanation and, and begin to try to build the case as to why we're better than it looks. And we always want to do it because we want to make sure that it keeps us in right standing with who matters. More than likely, you don't justify yourself to anybody that works under you. But all of a sudden, your boss catches you coming in the back door 20 minutes later than you should have from lunch. And you're like, hey, I was making a sales call at, uh, at uh, Olive Garden with my third bowl of pasta, never ending. Sorry, boss, I won't do it again. We tend to do that. Years and years ago, I have um, the oldest of three kids. I have two younger sisters. and My mom, <coughs> both my parents, uh, had three kids in three and a half years. So we're, we're tight in age. And me being the older brother, um, and I always wanted a, a younger brother to roughhouse with and whatnot. So I just, I just wrestled with my sisters. I just wrestled with them. And they, they were good. I mean, they, they learned some stuff, man. My, my baby sister almost ripped my ear off one time. And she grabbed my earlobe and whoop, ripped it and whoop, opened it right up, man. And uh, so we, we got into some, some decent scratch. Don't look at me like thinking I just got beat up by a girl. No. Seriously. You, you don't see there. I go to justify. Like, you don't know how tough she was. And, uh, but anyways, one day it was roughhousing. And um, so I'm the oldest. I was bigger. And I decided I was just going to deal with this. And I, I grabbed one sister by the waist and scooped her up and had her under my arm. And I grabbed the other sister by the waist and I had them. And they're just, just hung over right there. And they're just kicking and dangling and screaming. And so I've just got them. And then I, I don't know what to do. I just I have armfuls of sister and I don't know what to do. And then they're screaming. It's about to get out of control. And so I decide that I'm going to just sit them down gently. Well, I wasn't used to squatting. That much weight, not that they're heavy. Ginger and Heather, that is not a joke. And so, and, uh, but anyway, so as I go down, well, then my legs gave. Well, what it could have looked completely 
genius. Because as I, if I was this mean of a brother, it would have been awesome. Because as I went down, both of my sister's diaphragms hit right on each knee. And they go, boom, and they fall off onto the ground. And I've knocked the wind out of both of them simultaneously. <laughs> and what I should have done was go, boom. <laughs> and walked off. and said, King of the house. But I did not. I dropped to the floor in between them and immediately began to say, don't tell mom, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. They couldn't even breathe. I wasn't even caring that they weren't breathing. All I was concerned about was the whooping I was going to get because my mom could bring it. The whooping I was going to get for knocking the wind out of both of my sisters. There was nothing that I could do. And immediately it was all about keeping my right standing with my parents. All of a sudden, the only thing that mattered was keeping my right standing and covering things up. And that was all I wanted to do. And there was no excuse I could give to justify my actions and keep me in right standing. So I had to cover it up and make it go away. See, for us to truly let the truth set us free, we're going to have to give up our need to justify ourselves and I want you to let that sink in that one phrase has powerful truth on so many levels you have to give up this place this desire this inward need to justify yourself see justification on justifying ourselves comes in two ways one is it's the excuse making one, it's, the, it's not that big of a deal. And if you'll look at it through this lens, I've done this and I've done this and it's, it, it's, it's really, it's okay. You put all the pieces together and, and it's really okay. And then the other place where we justify ourselves is when we try to do work, do right. Begin to build things back and restore the relationship and go, you know what? If I just do this enough, I can make up for all of the bad I've done And now I have worked hard enough and justified myself. But today's parable, it deals with that very thing. We're going to catch up with Jesus' teaching in Luke 10. Most of us understand this parable and call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it. Maybe if you haven't even been, not even a church person, you're familiar with that concept. But I want us to take a fresh look at it today. Let's go ahead and jump into verse 25. And it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That's just kind of on our end of this. It's kind of funny. That somebody's going to test God in the flesh, you know. That's just kind of humorous. But that's not who they recognized him to be. So here's this expert in the law. Now you and I aren't. We're not experts in the laws of our land. Sadly, very few of us even understand the basics of our Constitution, much less all of the different stuff in our local things. I mean, it's, 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 it's honestly it's sad, but we'll, it's a discussion for another day. But in the Jewish culture, they were all un- understood the law. They lived by the law. They understood the ins and the outs of the law. They memorized it growing up. 
So when you have a culture where everybody has an understanding of what the Mosaic law was, and then you have someone who has been separated and recognized as an expert in the law, this is a guy who goes beyond the norm. This is a guy who understands these things inside out. And he's wanting to figure out if basically is is Jesus on my level. And says, teacher, he asked. And I want you to hear this. Next four words. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's my chore list? What's my punch list? What are my good deeds? How many of these nice things, sweet things, avoid these things? What's my list for eternal life? What do I have to do? And honestly, he's looking for the right end result. He understands that we're wired to live beyond this earthly plane. He's thinking on the right level. He's thinking eternal life. We do, we do what we can to try to get people who don't give a rip about eternal life to begin to e- even entertain the concept that our last physical breath isn't the end. And this guys he's thinking about the right thing. But he's coming at it from the wrong angle. He's coming at it from the only angle he's ever known. And then Jesus responds with a question. It says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's there, an expert in the law, talking to Jesus. The word become flesh. And he gives the exact same answer that Jesus did when, when Jesus was asked, What's the most two most important commandments? This guy gives the right answer. He's thinking about the right question. He gives the same answer Jesus gives. And Jesus says something that I honestly, I want to hear from Jesus. When I respond, this is what I want to hear. He says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. You've answered correctly. This comes down to loving God and to loving others. And you're you're getting the big picture here. It goes on and says, do this and you will live. And here comes verse 29. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to. I want to know what I need to do. I want to be in control of this whole eternal life thing. I want to be in the driver's seat. I want to make my own destiny. I want to be in control of this thing. And now I want to do this. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus. And who is my neighbor? I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on doing this. We we know who God is. There is but one God and that's it. There was no argument about that in the Jewish culture. The love God part, they understood that. They weren't arguing on that, but he's like, who's my neighbor? I feel like I'm handling this pretty good. What do you say? And Jesus' response with this parable 
is his answer to this guy wanting to justify himself. The entire parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to a man who wanted to justify himself and thought he had a pretty good idea of how to get it done. Now we're going to take this by some layers and we're kind of going somewhere here. But one of the first things that we want to hit on the top is obviously that love unshown is love unknown. We can immediately grab this truth and we can begin to bring it into our lives and it'll honestly, it'll make life just better. It's just going to make life better if we just understand this. That love unshown is love unknown. It doesn't matter how compassionate you feel if you don't move and do something. It doesn't matter how, how much that person makes your heart beat if you don't say the words. It doesn't matter how much you appreciate if you don't show the appreciation. It All of a sudden, it might, it might as well not even exist. And we get into this into verse 30. And Jesus replies and says... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as soon as he says this, all the listeners are like, okay? That little pathway had a nickname called the Way of Blood, okay? It was a treacherous piece of road to travel. As soon as he says a man is heading down this, everybody's like, it's like, oh man, the guy was running wide open to a dead man's curve. You're like, oh, I know where this is going. And sure enough, keeps going, says, and he was attacked by robbers. Of course he was attacked by robbers. He's on the way of blood. What is this man going down this road to Jericho for? Is business, business that pressing? Is he trying to show how tough he is? That, man, I can, I can go the way of blood. People can just bring it. Do your, do your worst. Why? We don't know why he went. But it's a place everybody understood was a bad place. And he's attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away and leave him there, leaving him half dead. I don't know what half dead is. I don't know if it's in the process that you leave him alone. He doesn't get care. He's, 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 all, he's there. I saw Princess Bride. I think I understand mostly dead, but I don't know. Half dead. And so here's this guy. He's in need. He's in need. And finally, Jesus introduces somebody in the story. He introduces a priest. Now, this is a Jewish Levitical priest guy. This is a guy who is by birthright and training and mentoring is a guy who his job is to do care on a religious level, okay? This is his entire occupation. He has no inheritance. Everything is wrapped up in it. They couldn't own land. Everything is wrapped up in this. They take this super seriously. And so everybody's thinking, okay, well, here's this priest guy. Here's this guy that, that, that you know, maybe he's going to do something. This is a guy who's respected, And the priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by 
on the other side. He goes around him. And he goes around him. So to a Levite. This is a guy of the same order. But he doesn't have the same priestly roles. The, the guys who are the Levites would be in charge of everything extra with the temple. From the cleaning of the temple and the, the prepping of the utensils and all the hauling of water and anything that had to do with their worship, any of the things. They were just, the entire Levitical clan would take care of these things. And so here's another guy that should be on page. And you think... We understand that the whole thing gets summed up in loving God and loving others. These two guys should know that. They should know it. And he too came to the place and saw him and he stepped by on the other side. Now what you and I miss, what you and I miss in this, because we don't have the same background that Jesus has when he's talking, so we need to introduce Numbers 19 verse 16. And this is, part of the, this is part of the law that these guys understood and everybody listening to Jesus understood. It says, anyone out in the open who touches someone who's been killed with a sword or someone who's died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. And you think, okay, big woo. Okay, so now I'm this unclean thing. Okay, this, all of a sudden these guys couldn't even do their occupation anymore. All of a sudden, they can't do their roles if they're technically unclean. And here's a guy who's left half dead. We don't know if he looks all dead. We don't know what's going on. He's beat up. He's bloodied. He's all these different things. And here comes tension. Here comes tension. Tension between what they understood was this legal purity to do what was right according to the law on this every little detail, or the law of love. Here's the tension. Am I going to get wrapped up in doing all these things just right by this deal and potentially not be able to even do my job for a week? Or am I going to step over here and operate in the law of love? And these guys who were so wrapped up in working for their justification of doing the right things to be right with God, completely blew it. They missed it. They walked past. They ignored the guy. Sorry, buddy. You're going to make me unclean. You're going to make me where I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to touch this. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. I'm a this. And all of a sudden, there was that tension All of a sudden there was that place and Jesus is bringing this truth into here that when in our system when things are for for love to win, for us to really love God and love others, love has to be the preeminent and everything else fit into the paradigm of love. Not we try to figure out how to fit love into the paradigm of religion. And Jesus is completely readjusting everything. Mark 1.40 says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. They were not allowed to touch someone leprous. It was a major no-no. 
See, Jesus didn't just throw out some, some tough stuff up there of, oh man, the Levite and the priest, they should have, you know, rendered aid. Jesus, when he's faced with the same thing, what does he do? He doesn't just declare that I am willing. He says he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, you, can you imagine? This man had been leprous for all this time. How long it had been since some other human touched him. Now some of you were like, that'd be awesome. I've got a big personal space bubble. But most people... We need some sort of touch. We need some sort of love. We need some sort of contact. We crave it. And here's this guy who his condition has kept him out. And here it's not just that he's going to get this thing that he needs physically to be able for his physical body to be healed. But Jesus reaches out and he touches him. And communicates love and concern. And my love for you trumps all this other stuff. It trumps it. See, love responds in practical and meaningful ways. We come now to Luke 10, verse 33. And this is probably the most shocking part of the story to his listeners. Because the Samaritans were a despised group. And I understand that you and I hate bigotry. We hate it. We don't like it. We don't like it in any of its forms. But it was strong in this culture. It was a huge deal. And the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans as these people who had this weird, twisted form of worship. And they had this weird, twisted form of thing that they took the Jewish things and they felt like they were blended in and that it was, they didn't even worship the same God. It was so jacked up and there was no way a Samaritan could do this thing right. And if we want to get real confrontational with ourselves, then what we would do is instead of saying, you know, that uh, a good little Christian pastor and a good little Christian counselor passed on the side of the road and you know and they ignored him and we're like you shame hypocrite why are you doing that and then who comes along but a Muslim but of this but of that but of whatever it is that we feel like is on the outside a member of ISIS walks up with a gun slung over his shoulder and he sets it down and he picks the hurting guy up And all of a sudden we see this place where nothing good could possibly come. That when love comes in, that's what God is caring about. And somehow we look at these other layers and we think that all these other things that our religious duties begin to make our sweetness of our love so much better. But if our love isn't there, then our religious stuff stinks. It is pointless. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. 
And if you, if you really wanted to study this out, this whole, this, all that this guy does, it is so rich. There's so many layers of illusions and different things that point, and we don't have time to deal with it today. But he pours on the oil and the wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for whatever extra expenses you may have. He gave him a blank check. Just take good care of this guy. I'll take care of any of the bills. Remember, he was traveling. He saw him on the road. He had something to go take care of, but he took care of the guy first and tended to him. And then made sure he was in a place of care. Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? You ask the guy who wants to justify himself. Who do you think? Who do you think was a neighbor? The guy knows. The guy knows he's beat. He knows the right answer. But I think it's interesting the way he says it. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say Samaritan. can't even say the Samaritan. He just says, the one that had mercy. All of a sudden, this truth where Jesus had woven in all over the place, where he has said multiple times for the people to understand this one thing, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The other two guys were so, so wrapped up in all of the things they had to do, the sacrifices they had to make, the sacrifices they had to help perform, all of those different things, and missed out on an opportunity To show mercy. And Jesus simply told the guy. Go do the same. Go be like the Samaritan. What? What? No, you're supposed to go say, go, go tell me, go be like the high priest. Go be like one of our awesome guys who's doing it right. Seriously, I want to know about eternal life. And you're telling me, go be like the Samaritan? I don't get this, Jesus. You're jacking with me here. You're messing with me here. I don't understand this. That's because the guy who was seeking to justify himself was talking to the one who came to justify all of us. The guy had the complete wrong paradigm. He was looking, trying to figure out how to do it all on his own, how to make it to where either this applies to me and this doesn't, or I've got the formula and I can make this happen. And he's having this conversation the whole time with the one who met us in our own brokenness, in our own ditch, when life beat us up and we're the ones who are the ones in the place we shouldn't have been getting beset by pain and robbery and loss and nakedness and shame and neglect. He met us right there. 
that Jesus is the only one where, where true justification exists in. Jesus is it. He's the only one. See, this has to carry on and it has to be, it has to be deeper than just good deeds and it has to be deeper than just this ascent to who God is and what he can do for us. It has to be this beautiful understanding that we love God and we love others and we're willing to get messy in the middle. James 2 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? You know, praying for each other is a good thing. It's a good thing. We should be doing that. We do the prayer request because it is a good thing. But anytime we stop when there's something practical that we can do, when there's some place we can begin to intervene and connect, man, that's when the body of Christ becomes the true hands and feet. How amazing is it to understand that when this gets brought to life, that the love of God could manifest through anybody. It could show up at any time. Through unexpected people, through unexpected acquaintances and connections, that if we'll all do this, that we're never so far away that God can't reach us right where we are. See, all of this comes back to Jesus' core assignment that we looked at last week. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not because He's come to preach really great messages and show people how to live perfect little lives. Not because He's come to show us what we have to do and what we don't have to do. What has Jesus come to do? He's come to preach good news. Proclaim it. Just put it out there. Just say it. It's good news. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, when we get rid of this tension, this desire to know what we want, what we need to do to grab a hold of eternal life, that place when we feel like we don't measure up, we have that need to just justify ourselves and say, you know what, it applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. When we get rid of all of that mess, then we can fully step into the truth that Jesus is enough. And we let go of the striving and we let go of all of the other mess and we're able to actually step into a place where we can be that good Samaritan. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He wasn't trying to get brownie points with anybody. He was just showing love. How awesome would it be to show love to people not because it's the Christian thing to do, 
But because our heart is just so full of love, we can't stop ourselves. Because we're so full of the acceptance of God, we can't help but extend it to other people. That we've so given up on the concept of making ourselves right with God that we dare to show people that they can be right with Him too. It changes everything. Folks, love isn't cheap. And it's not convenient. But it's the only thing that matters. We need to open our hearts. We need to open our hearts to truly know God. To say, God, come in and take care of my ways of thinking, my paradigms. Let's rip all of my expectations down. And I just want to know you. And then that truth can come in and really begin to set us free. I'm going to create a little moment here. And if you're here this morning and you recognize, you recognize yourself in this parable. Maybe you identify with a guy who's beat up. And you recognize that Jesus is a Savior that will meet you in your beat up mess. Just embrace His love today. Maybe you recognize yourself in the expert in the law. And that all of your Bible study and all of your energy and all of these different stuff is so you could understand how to make yourself right with God. How to please Him and to get it done right. Maybe you recognize yourself in those that have been skirting some issues. You see some needs in your daily life. You've been walking around some hurting family members. You've been walking around some hurts in your own life. And then maybe you hear the call of the Samaritan. Maybe you're saying, God, I feel you calling me to step out of my comfort zones. I'm telling I feel you calling me to give up my schedule and my control of everything and just dare to love people. No matter where you are on that scale, the answer is just meeting Jesus right where you are. That's the answer. So this morning, I just want, I just want to pray over us as a group. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you are the only one who brings us in a place of rightness with you, that you were in Christ reconciling, justifying, bringing everything into alignment, making us right with you. And Lord, we recognize that today. And Lord, we want that in our rightness with you that's been so freely provided, Lord, you help us to interact rightly with each other. 
Lord, we ask you that you strip away all of the religious mess that we try to jockey for position and and do things just right. Lord, that we dare to believe that you can just minister to people in the practical, everyday flow of our life. Lord, we choose to lift up our eyes and we choose to see the needs in front of us and we choose to say yes to you today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.